From BYU Broadcasting's Performance Studio, this is Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Our guest today arrived with guitar in hand, but before I tell you about the music he does, I'll just say he enjoys backcountry skiing, fly fishing, backpacking, hiking, river running, about any other physically challenging outdoor adventure. It might sound like he could be here for an outdoor show today. We could probably do that, but he also happens to own a whole bunch of guitars. Some of them even have his own name on them. We'll talk about that later. And Chris Proctor, our guest today, is also the U.S. National Fingerstyle Guitar Champion. He has DVDs. He teaches guitar that way around the world. We'll talk about his music and how he discovered the guitar later than I would have guessed. But let's start with some music. This is a piece of his called War Games. Thank you. 
That's War Games, performed by the guy who wrote it. That's Chris Proctor. He is in studio today, performing live here on Highway 89. One reviewer talked about Chris Proctor's music as follows. He said, what to call this unique melange of styles? Something Americana, something Appalachian, something old-timey, but also some jazz, Celtic folk, a dash of blues in there somewhere. Would you agree with all those, Chris? Uh, it, yeah, throughout a concert, yes, by the end of the evening or the day, or the show, I, that'll all be in there. In any one song, um, you know, it's a little harder to characterize, I think. But yeah, I, I, I live in the land of hyphens, you know, where, you know, you can't say in, in, in two words what you do. You know, jazz guitar gives a certain image mm -hmm. and it tells people how it's going to sound and what the repertoire will be, what type of instrument, you know, and they have an expectation, maybe even the type of venue they would hear it. But classical, same way, yeah. you know. But this is, you know, like you say, how many adjectives were there in that, uh, in that descriptive? Yeah, pretty much just adjectives. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, as near as I could tell from look, reading your website, you had no discernible talent for the guitar in your early years. No, I played an old silver tone that had four out of the six strings going, um, and they were plastic <laughs> strings. You know, it was a Sears Maybe guitar. that was the problem. <laughs> And it, I put it on my lap and played it almost like a lap style, you know, to put my mm -hmm. fingers down like the way you'd almost um, key a piano and played little single note things and noodled around. And and that, it didn't really intrigue me. It didn't speak to me until a bit later, yeah. So then you heard what that changed everything? I went to a little concert, and it was in the uh, mid-'60s, and it was just like you'd picture the old basement concert with those red waxy candles in the middle of the tables and the red checkered tablecloths, you know, and it was a blues player. And he was one of the old blues players that had started writing and playing in the 20s or 30s, and this is towards the end of his life. And he was from me to you, you know, six feet. Mm -hmm. And I just was transfixed. I, I just, partly because he was so good and it was such a primal blues, it's such a wonderful roots music, but Partly because when I closed my eyes and I heard the guitar, he was doing that two things at once thing that's so common now on the steel string, what we call fingerstyle, where the bass is carried by your right thumb and the melody is carried by the fingers. And put them together, it sounds like they're two players. Yeah. And I just close, instantly close said, yeah, that's I said, I have picture. to do that. I got to learn how to do that. <laughs> and that was, the, that was the motivation. So I read that once you discovered that you were playing guitar, you're in school, mm -hmm. but you're still playing guitar like six hours a day. I don't know how I made it. That I mean, I mean, I was making a living either going to school or making a living, mm -hmm. and yet playing it seemed like every waking hour uh, and sandwiched around that. And then eventually, I started playing out, you know, in the little venues. And then I got a job in a music store. So, if you're not selling, then you're playing. Mm. So that combined, you know, business and pleasure. And yeah, I I, I was lost inside the guitar for 15 years, really. Well, let me ask you this: Is there a way that you would define? It sounds like it would be obvious, finger-style guitar, but everybody plays guitar with their fingers. They do, you know, and it doesn't. that doesn't speak to you unless you already know what it means. Mm -hmm. You know, if you already know what that, you know, acoustic finger-style, oh, yeah, I know what that is. But, but who does? Not many. You know, um, I call it contemporary uh, solo, you know, steel string, uh, solo Americana, instrumental Americana, because it, that speaks to the repertoire more. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't tell you about the technique. But... I mean, fingerstyle is just a way to divide the labor up on the right hand and do two or three or, if you're lucky, four lines at once. And that's not necessarily just my style. I mean, a good classical player does that, mm -hmm. you know. Um, 
So anybody that chooses to learn that right-hand skill, no matter what their repertoire, is doing that. So there isn't a great descriptive. There isn't. It's just a little cult thing that people who are in the cult know what we're talking about. <laughs> well, we're glad you're, you're proselyting <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> for us here today. I read that you attended the Walnut Valley Festival in 80 and 81, competing in the fingerstyle, and then you came back and you won in 82. Mm-hmm. Then they had to make you a judge. Yeah, I went won. back and judged, um, and that was actually much more painful than competing. Um, you know, you're isolated, so you don't see the players because mm-hmm. you don't want to have any kind of favoritism ah. or uh, prejudice. And you're in a, you're basically in a sound room with two speakers, and you're with your clipboard, and you know, hours and hours and hours of music. Some of it very well played, some of it very poorly played. And the poor judges, we're not supposed to talk at all, you know, but you look at each other at one break. We said, we wish there was a red lever that if we all agreed, you know, halfway into the first song, the stage would open up and swallow up that participant (laughs) because we were getting so, so fatigued by listening partway through the first song. You realize this is, the person has no chance. And, but yeah, we have to listen anyway and give them a chance. So, but no, it was, it was enjoyable, but not often. I wouldn't want to do that very often. Mm. Well, let's hear another one. Okay. Uh, this one, uh, you can take your place there. This is Chris Proctor playing, and uh, all the pieces today are his original pieces. And if you're listening, you might want to check out, a lot of these have been compiled. They're on the Chris Proctor collection. This piece is called Tap Room. Thank you. 
That's Tap Room, performed by Chris Proctor. You're listening to Highway 89. This is a live performance from our performance studio today. You can listen to just about all of the songs that we're featuring today on the Chris Proctor Collection. Chris, uh, the first song was 12-string. Yes. This next one, you switch to the six-string. And uh, I've heard a lot of 12-string strumming because it adds, you know, just adds so much depth to it. But I'm really, this is, I think, my first time to see someone really doing the finger style with the 12-string. And is that hard to get to get all the strings, or do you pick and choose whether you're hitting both in the in the string pairs? That's that's a good question. I mean, that's a that gets to the heart of what the twelve string is about for me. Um, you're right. The twelve string has been like a giant, like you know, chorus in a way of mm. six strings, and yeah. that's how it's often used: big, rich, bright, full. But it's not seen as a separate entity. Like, what would I do with this guitar that's unique to it? And for me and, and a few others, this is a really small cult, by the way, of the 12-string. There are only maybe six or eight of us in, in the world that I'm aware of that play this way. Mm. Um, you divide the strings up into pairs and learn how to play them individually and separately and together. Wow. Because the bottom four string sets are paired an octave apart. They're not the same. They're not a unison note. So there's a possibility of playing that higher pitch note that doesn't exist on the sixth string with your thumb if you can train it to do that and not hit the other note and muddy the water. <laughs> so those notes are high, and they give you they give you melodies and sort of cascading harp-like things um, that you just can't get on the uh, on the sixth string. So you were selling instruments at one point. You're teaching at a local music store, and you thought. This is my time to learn music theory. Mm -hmm. This is yes, not the indeed. typical course for a guitarist. So tell me no. about this. Well, you know, uh, guitar players are, we're sort of anarchists at heart. I mean, we're the people that didn't want to take the piano lesson or the <laughs> trumpet lesson. You know, when you were younger and you were learn things in the right order, you learn to read and you learn theory as you go along. Uh, we learned to play because it was fun and rebellious in whatever form it took for us. Um, and then later, if you get serious about it and good, you realize there's this huge vacuum where you don't, your hands are better than your head. Mm. You know, you're learning all these things and you're good, but yet you don't understand the rudiments of what you're doing in many ways. And it's painful to do that, to have to graft that knowledge that you would have gotten at age six or eight if you'd started out in a real curriculum. But it's, it, for me, it was absolutely essential. And, you know, if you want to make progress, I had to get beyond that, that I, the, what I didn't know. So you headed so, back to university, back, yep. and you seem pretty mm -hmm. happy that you made that choice. I was, and I got really lucky. Um, I got a wonderful music theory teacher, Ardeen Watts, who was mm -hmm. a former associate conductor of the symphony under Ravenel. And he was, you know, he was stern, but he was good, and he really cared. And it just sucked me in. You know, I just, I loved it. It was the best decision I ever made musically I think and you played in a band for a while mm -hmm. so what and there's a certain amount of energy and fun from being in a band yes just with, with other musicians all playing together so what made the decision I'm going to pursue a solo career well the more you start playing fingerstyle in this manner you know the learning to do two or three things at once the more you are becoming the band you know, you're replacing your bass player. <laughs> you don't need all yeah. those guys. You're replacing your bass player and your rhythm player, you know. Uh -huh. And you're always the melody player if you're a guitarist, you know. And so once you replace them, I mean, you're not leaving any room for them, really. Hmm. What do they do that doesn't just muddy the water? And I was drawn to that solo style to be as complete sounding as I could. So that was the, sort of the natural end point, I think, for me of the evolution. 
which came first for you, T- touring or recording, or did they just kind of build on each other? Um, well, there was regional touring, you know, where I began to move outward in a little bigger, widening circle from um, my base in Salt Lake. But, you know, you, that was limited by not having any recordings. Mm. So you, you bump up against that limit easily. It's obvious that, well, let me sh- send me your disc. Uh-oh, you know. <laughs> what disc? So right about the time, this all happened in the early 80s when I began to record, and then I won that competition in Kansas, and that fed into the ability to tour because once I had a recording and once I had a little sticker on the front that says National Fingerstyle Champion, all of a sudden it opened doors and I could begin to perform outside the immediate area. And now you go to Europe? Yes. You're yes. headed to Alaska coming up? Yes, are European audiences different in any way what they appreciate from you than American audiences? Um, how they express it. Mm-hmm. I mean, guitar players, there's a guitar nerd world, you know, and I'm in it, firmly in it. And those people come out, and they support you everywhere you go in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Europeans, and even the ones you would soon be more emotionally reticent, like the Germans even, they want to tell you how, this me- how much this means to them. Um, they really want to just tell you, hmm. not just show enthusiasm with applause and things. Um, because Partly because they know that I don't get out there that often, and so they're seeing somebody they've heard of for a long time maybe, and it's maybe unique as opposed to maybe a player that's German that they maybe see several or could see whenever they wanted. But um, they want to take you aside and tell you about how the guitar affects them or, hmm. or your music, uh, and much more so than American audiences. You, still, you get that from American audiences too sometimes, but more overseas. Well, set up this next piece. is called Hotspot. Yeah, yeah. I was asked to write a song. It was going to be background for a traffic it was it was a it was to a traffic jam with a voiceover about carpooling. <laughs> they filmed the traffic jam down in San Bernardino on the 10 freeway at dusk, and all and they sped it up about three times so it looked like a jerky red fireflies, mm-hmm. you know, six lanes wide, and a voiceover was, "This could happen to you if you don't carpool," you know, if we all don't get civic minded, and they never used the commercial, but they showed me that video and said, "We want you to write something that would work for that." And so I got started, and then they decided that video was too punitive. They needed to do an encouraging video with people on the bus being happy and meeting their neighbors in a way they wouldn't have if they had chosen to drive to work, you know? Mm-hmm. So I got to start 30 seconds, and I thought, well, I don't care if they don't use it. I'm going to use it. You, you know? got a song out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Hotspot even... was the cue, was their video. They called this. That was what they were, you know, that was the just the official title of the video they sent me to look at. All right, well, let's hear this one. Okay. We're going to hear Hotspot. We're bringing you the music, but not the traffic jam, by Chris Proctor, our guest today in Studio 6 on Highway 89, coming to you, as always, live.
That's Hot Spot here on Highway 89. Chris Proctor playing his piece, sort of an ode to a traffic jam. You could feel the tension. I think I could hear the horns honking too a couple of places there. Coming up just a moment, we're going to hear another piece. This is called Ozymandias. This one is from an album called Ladybug Stomp.
Chris Proctor on Highway 89, performing live in our performance studio. That's Ozymandias from his album called Ladybug Stomp. And if you want to look at this discography, uh, the piece we just heard was actually featured on a Wyndham Hill recording. He has a few of his pieces that have been featured on some Wyndham Hill recordings. Also, Flying Fish Records, Kicking Mule Records, and now Sugar House Records. So you've had actually quite a bit of exposure all over yeah, these have, different companies. They each have kind of a different niche. Or they do, they do. And and my music changed a bit from recording to recording, but the record industry changed more, as mm. you know. You know, <laughs> I started out with vinyl, and now here we are in the post-CD age, where CDs are mainly concert trophies, really, in my world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people want to have that memento, and, and but as soon as they take it home, it's turning digital, or most people are buying online or yeah. listening through, you know, listening services. And so, yeah. Tell me about that piece. Isn't, uh, is it Ozymandias? Ozymandias, yeah. That was Mandias. The, I wrote that after I, I reread and relearned the poem that Shelley wrote, uh, that called the sonnet called Ozymandias, about um, Byron's, you know, Byron's trip through Persia. He came back and had... Um, meals with uh, Percy Shelley and his wife Mary mm-hmm. who wrote the original Frankenstein and they were also intrigued they all decided they were going to write something mm-hmm. after his tales of these ruins in the in the you know in Iran in Iraq in the Middle East and all these you know statues of kings that nobody even knew the history of you know from thousands of years ago and he wrote the poem you know my name is Ozymandias king of kings look on my works ye mighty and beware you know <laughs> cautionary it tale is a caution and it seemed to fit so i i started writing nice mood i was just floating away in that thank you now the guitar you're playing is uh, you said you have too many taylor guitars but you're looking forward to playing all of them but you actually have one that's the chris proctor proctor signature model six string steel string guitar yes that's the one i've been playing these last few pieces on i uh i started working with taylor when they were a tiny company back in the um early mid 80s mm-hmm. they had maybe eight employees at the time or seven and i came, went to them because i wasn't finding an instrument that out in the market that fit that fit this need mm-hmm. um when you when you strum and play guitar in a band you want a big bassy kind of a loud somewhat unbalanced instrument with a kind of a narrow neck because you're not trying to do things individually with the strings but you're uh, i wanted a steel string in a sense the equivalent of a classical guitar which is a wider neck, a smaller body for sitting mm-hmm. down, and more balance between bass and treble. But it had to be a steel string, you know, and, and that was my world, and that's what the sound that I was motivated by. So we sat down and sketched out something, and they built one um, on the first one, just as a kind of a, um, I guess, a, a provisional thing. And we all liked it, and they decided to add it to their line. So mm-hmm. for it's a number got of a years, yeah, so it has, a, it has the cutaway also. That was another thing I was insisting on, although not all of them have that. Some people. Um, prefer not, but I like reaching up into the strings and having to reach around the body. Hmm. So uh, they built that, and I became sort of the unofficial spokesperson for that. And then it turned official for a number of years, and we I did workshops and um, engagements for them. So and someone so could they say, "Hey, that. I want this one." Yeah. So there, every nice. few years they would improve, and I'd say, "Well, I better try th- that too." So I accumulated, <laughs> you know, six or seven of these over the uh, fifteen or twenty years. Well, that sounds good. Let me ask you about 
teaching. You have a series, a couple actually, a series of DVDs. I do. I have a six string and a 12 string. And uh, the 12 string is more advanced. It's for people who already know how to play and want to investigate this approach. Mm-hmm. The six string is more roots. You know, this is how you start. This is how you learn this style step mm-hmm. by step. And that sort of, and I teach guitar workshops quite often, sometimes a week, whole weeks at guitar camps. And that's the sort of uh, curriculum we follow. Nice. Well, this lets you teach everyone, anyone who's interested, yes. where you couldn't do that actually in real life. In it's true. Way. It's true. And they some of them come sort of pre-instructed, which is handy when you do meet them or they come to a workshop or a camp. Oh, so they know some of your terms. They and found already... it. Yeah, they have found it already and, uh, and have been learning on their own. Well, this has been exciting to hear this, but we have to hear one more. Okay. So tell me about 704. 704. So is it an area code or is there no, something else? No, I was, um, I was commuting, if you can imagine that, between Salt Lake and Pasadena. I was doing some music for documentary and film, thinking that might lead on. Um, and I had a place to live down there, and I had my home in Salt Lake, and I did that drive so many times. You know, I had too many guitars and things to, to fly. Um, so I, I learned the exact number of miles between <laughs> one driveway and the other. And that's a pretty bad sign when you have nothing else to think about. Uh, but it was also emblematic of the sort of stress of this going back and forth and back and forth. And each time I would get down and approach the L.A. Basin, you see the smog waiting for you, and you'd pop over um, 15 down in Cajon Pass and start dropping down. Mm-hmm. And you go, here you go again. you know. And so that number, 704, became the title of the tune. <laughs> All right. Let's get here. We're going to like this way more than we would like breathing the air there. Although sometimes here in Utah, we have nothing on them. <laughs> we can't really say anything about the air. Here is Chris Proctor performing his own piece. If you want to look him up online, be sure you go to chrisproctor.com. You can find his audio, examples of videos, his latest CD, which is called Close and Personal Friends. And you can also download things you can read, even some more in-depth if you want the real history going way back when. You can find that all online, too, at chrisproctor.com. All the pieces that you've heard today are from an album called The Chris Proctor Collection, except for one. Here is 704.
704, a little music for freeway driving. That is Chris Proctor, our guest today here on Highway 89. He records on Sugarhouse Records. Chris is the U.S. National Fingerstyle Guitar Champion. His website is chrisproctor.com. Again, for audio, video, his latest CD, books, downloads, etc. Chris, thank you so much for coming in today. Steve, it's been a real pleasure. And I mean, it just came together so quickly. Thanks so much for having me. Well, you're prepped and ready. We just had to bring you in and let you do your thing. If you are listening, don't forget you can listen to all of our shows, including this one, and even share it with a friend at byuradio.com slash highway89. Our Instagram and Twitter feed is at byuh89. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. Our recording engineer is Mark Waite. Our film assistant is Abby Horlocker. And the show's producer is Jackie Tataishi. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.